Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Duprada. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community, as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are their stories. Yesterday, Selva Kumaran is Teacher Ambassador for the New South Wales Department of Education. She's a relieving head teacher, professional practice, and a humanities teacher. Thank goodness, a humanities teacher at Rudy Hill High School in Sydney's West. She leads teacher induction and professional learning across career levels. She's got expertise in subject pedagogies, mentoring, classroom observation. She was a top 10 finalist last year, Adriano, in the Varky Foundation $1 million Global Teacher Prize. She's been awarded an honorary fellowship from Western Sydney University for sustained and significant contribution to education in Western Sydney. Yesterday is a proud member of the executive of the Australian Curriculum Studies Association. And if that's not enough, she's one of 30 rising stars under the age of 35 in Australian education as nominated by the Educator Australia magazine. I can't wait to have a conversation with her about all things to do with being a teacher in education. Let's go. Phil, it's wonderful to join with you today. Uh, how is the weather in Fitzroy this afternoon? Look, it's, it's, it was raining tofu and quinoa earlier, but it's, it's now turned into a fairly sunny day. How's the serenity and sunshine today? Uh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I might be going out later on for some photo because it's a very cold outside. So a, a nice good Vietnamese feed is something I'm really looking forward to uh, a bit later on. But enough of this banter. We are super excited to have finally on Game Changers for Series 3 is Yasadai. Yasadai, it is so wonderful for you, uh, for us to have you on our particular show and for you to be present. And uh, welcome to the Game Changers. Thank you so much, Phil and Adriano. It's, it's awesome to be here. I have been following the podcast and, yeah, very, very excited to be asked to be on it and to speak with you both. So let's launch into the very first couple of questions. This is a question that we've asked uh, all of our, our education influencers so far, and that is a simple one around, tell us a little bit about your own story in terms of what has got you to where you are today. I think absolutely my family has had a huge impact on where I am today. From a very young age, education was very much, very highly valued. And I think the, parent, the background that my parents came from, and for me as well, knowing that I could have had a very different life because I was born in Sri Lanka in a time when the Civil War was just breaking out after decades of tension. Uh, I've always very, been very, very thankful for the opportunities that I had here. And I was always really, really amazed by the power of community from a really, really young age. I grew up in rural New South Wales. Uh, that's where my parents first migrated after a little bit of time in Sydney where my dad took his first job with the government. And my brother and sister were born there. We moved to Bathurst in regional New South Wales uh, when I was 10. And I uh, moved to Sydney for university. And it was only in the later years of high school that I really thought about education as a career choice. Even though I've always I'd loved school, loved being part of communities, loved sport, the extracurricular. And it's when I realised that, you know, I loved it. And I wanted to be a part of it and to be able to shape the next generation as well. But a firm interest in my own history, I think, is what led me to being a history teacher. The background that I come from, um, I'm from a Tamil background in Sri Lanka, and I've just found that growing up, 
you know, the, the history of the Tamils in Sri Lanka is very contested and it was, you know, very much caught up between the civil war and uh, extremism. And even now, you know, people are still telling those stories. And so very much this interest in being able to share our stories and to be able to let people have an identity um, individually, but also as a group is something that continues to strive, I strive for, and as an educator today. It's clear that so much of your own formation and that story that you've just shared with us today is a direct result in the type of community you wish to choose to be part of and, and the, young, the type of young people that you wish to continue to, to support. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about the Rudy Hill High School context and some of the really interesting things that that learning community is doing to empower young people irrespective of circumstance? Absolutely. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I always say this when people ask me about my journey, that I was a pre-service teacher at Rudy Hill. I did my second prac there. Um, and from the time I was at, I did my second placement there, I knew I wanted to work there. And I was very fortunate to get initially a temporary position um, that led to a, you know, a permanent position and a number of leadership roles that I've had. But what stuck out to me, even as, you know, still fairly young educator, pre-service teacher with limited experience was that it was a community that really came together to work together to be able to deliver the best for their students, for their teachers, for the families uh, and the community. It very much just spoke to uh, all of the reasons that I you know, thought that teaching was what I wanted to do when I left school. And it's a really, really special place in terms of developing leadership capacity. Our principal, um, Ms. Christine Causey, is very well known in terms of her role in leadership development, and she's been a very long-term principal there and has had a huge impact on my career development. But that idea of being a leader from the very beginning is something that makes it very special for teachers. So I'm now, um, I guess, on the flip side of that, and I coordinate our induction program, and we've got 12 new beginning teachers this year. And again, that's something that that, that experience, it's led by a whole team of mentors in each faculty um, and distributed leadership structures across the school really drive staff to be able to do their best. And I guess I'm starting with staff before students because to do the best for our students, we need to be able to work with staff and make sure that there is people supporting them, developing them. There's opportunities for professional learning internally and externally. And then that, you know, coming together to have an aligned approach and a vision. And Rudy Hill High School is in Western Sydney in a lower socioeconomic area. Uh, we have 50% of students coming from non-English speaking backgrounds and we have a significant enrolment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students at 5%. And there's just so much going on in terms of innovation from everything from student agency, uh, our work with the capabilities um, and developing critical creative thinking. That's something that I've been fortunate to be a part of in leading. Uh, to even our work at the moment, we have a Connecting to Country project team that last year launched a reconciliation action plan. And uh, this year as well with Reconciliation Week, uh, you know, today's the last day. On June 3rd when we're recording this is just been a big reflection on all of the things that have happened um, in that space. So for students, they have opportunities to really be involved uh, from things from our local context, but really looking at how can we bring global opportunities through our networks, through collaboration, 
uh, for our students to be able to achieve. Yesterday, it's so good to have a history teacher on this program. <laughs> I've just been besieged by this uh, by this rogue art teacher and a whole bunch of other teachers. <laughs> I, I, I want to just just let's push Adriana to one side for a moment. You and I can commune about things that are genuinely important. Let's go to something that's really worrying a whole lot of folk around the world at the moment, and particularly those folk in America who seem to be reliving some of the most awful uh, uh, societal disruption that you know we saw in the in the 60s we saw in the 50s we saw in the 30s the black lives matter movement let's take you to your classroom how are you working with students from so many diverse backgrounds and uh, uh, particularly aboriginal and torres strait islander students around this issue of black lives matters well, with that, uh, I think it affects all of um, our students and it's definitely been a conversation point um, from I've currently got Year 9 and History and Year 11 and Year 12 Society and Culture. And it's the students just want to talk about it. They want to talk about why this is happening. They want to try and figure it out. Like what is, it's, it's quite confronting for 13, 14-year-olds in particular uh, in the junior school to be to seeing these images in the media and working out why it's happening. Uh, so basically, especially as a history teacher, you know, having those difficult conversations about what's happening in the past and connecting it to the present is something that we, we do all the time. And in my classes, if, if students really want to talk about something, make sure that they've got a voice to do that. In terms of how particular students from particular backgrounds are, are feeling, at this stage, I, don't, I think it's too early to, to sort of make a comment on that, but I think it's about supporting each individual student because I think one of the things in working in such a culturally diverse school is just realising that uh, students also have very mixed identities and, you know, when events like this happen, you know, it's easy to sort of go uh, or be, be cautious of certain groups but then other groups may actually you know be feeling it because there's a there's a link to their past or their heritage and you know if you think about institutional discrimination uh that that can be applied to so many contexts across the world and especially in thinking about that topic that's actually what my year 12 class is going to be looking at next and so it's very much going to be a part of our conversations and discussions and looking at what that looks like in australia as well but I think for students at the moment, it's very much about just helping them debrief on what the issues are and what it means for them. That's terrific. Yesterday, all right. So let's, let's now flip that issue around and let's talk about your classroom teacher. It's a wee while since I taught history all day, every day. But when I did and when I was a head teacher and all of that sort of stuff, part of the challenge is the tyranny of the dot point, the tyranny of the syllabus and the curriculum, how you can cover what you have to cover but then free yourself up to respond to stuff that really matters that's happening in the world today. What sort of advice can you give to teachers out there who want to respond to the immediacy of a present context and connect it back to a series of dot points that might have been written 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, I think, you know, it's always, and this is especially working with beginning teachers, is, is trying to help them do this as well, is... I think it's easier actually as a humanities teacher, just in terms of the context of our curriculum, being able to be linked, you know, between past, present and future and implications and things as well. But I think very much taking on a capabilities approach, and that's definitely uh, something that I've uh, been a part of at Rudy Hill and something we've really looked at, is when we think about, well, how do we marry the, you know, dot points in terms of content to capabilities and really think about what it is that we want our students to know, do, and be 
And this is something that's been guiding us at Rudy Hill. And we've been looking very much at ways of knowing, doing and being and how they should be balanced um, in the way that we teach. And I guess even when it comes to things like the pandemic at the moment, uh, you know, students are realising and making connections with when we're studying World War One and World War Two in terms of like rationing and being able to bring opportunities for transnational history as a history teacher, opportunities to be able to bring in those case studies that help give you a lens to then analyze other things as well. And even, you know, in terms of the previous question on Black Lives Matter, I think, you know, really thinking about how that impacts like groups of students is what I meant to say is it's, I think it's too early to say because at the moment as a teacher, I've only had really individual one-on-ones with those students that have raised it and then had conversations in class um, with the broader class as well where, where it fits. But I think one thing that I won't forget is last year I had a student who got so angry reading and learning about the civil rights movement in America and he said he was just so ashamed to hear that that had happened and you know that particular unit I know if you know when when if students studying that right now with direct links to, to events like Black Lives Matter it would very much be an opportunity to connect that but to also debrief the responses and I think as teachers it's very much about showing different perspectives and encouraging empathy. And that's the key. I think it's all about empathy and making connections to be able to really drive those current case studies, but also through extracurricular activities as well. I know that in the current environment, a lot of excursions and things have been cancelled, but very much looking at virtual ways of connection and how we can offer those same sorts of programs or opportunities for students to come together and to connect with students from other schools and other contexts is vital. So I love what you're saying there yesterday. If we, if we, if we take that notion of capability skills, um, or, or as Adriana would call it, or capabilities that you're talking about it, or an education for character and competency, it's essentially about how we educate for a whole person. So instead of compartmentalising education, we're looking at the interaction of what we would call the content with the formation of the person. I want to take you down the route, and I'm doing this for our producer, Oliver, who I know was marching, I think, yesterday afternoon at the time of recording at the the Aboriginal Lodge Mm. at his march. Why are capabilities that promote voice, agency and active social leadership so important for today's young folk? It's crucial to be able to, to navigate, you know, these sorts of things and ethical dilemmas that we all, I guess, face, you know, whether it's on a micro level in terms of our individual uh, responses to things in our immediate world or actually taking a bigger voice and to, to be active in the institutions that we're a part of or even beyond that as well. I think the capabilities, you know, in Australia are quite strong in terms of if we look at personal and social capability, capability and ethical understanding, uh, critical creative thinking and being an intercultural awareness understanding Using those, you know, they're in our curriculum. I know that they're they're applied differently in various states, but to use that as an opportunity to actually have a conversation and to explicitly teach what those capabilities mean and what that looks like through the lens of of subject is crucial. And if students can't recognise or if they're not aware that they're actually learning about this through different capabilities lenses, what we've learned at Rudy Hill is that they're not going to actually be able to be able to reflect on that. So if we've got students and staff talking the same language, being able to explicitly identify when these sorts of thinking are happening, and I think the focus is on teaching students about thinking um, and then how that thinking translates to different capabilities is a core part of that. So much of what I'm hearing today uh, resonates very deeply yesterday because Phil and I often talk about this construct of character, competency and wellness or or alternatively, you know, um, 
ways of knowing, ways of thinking, and then ways of being. When you became a top 10 finalist of that Global Teacher Award in 2019, and by the way, congratulations, that's an outstanding achievement, one that, that you should be exceptionally proud of, and no doubt your family would be very joyous about uh, that particular accolade as well. Our understanding is that this was partly because you, you achieved consistently high results in a school that continues to perform generally below the state average with the challenges of culturally and linguistically diverse groups of students in, a, in as you've described, a socioeconomically kind of deprived or challenged area. Can you talk a little bit about then what is the role of education in today's world to bridge the gap and the inequity that exists in society? I think the equity gap is, is you know, it's, it's crucial. Even though, you know, we are in a low socioeconomic area, for our students, we're very, very conscious that we don't let that hold them back. So in terms of the language right. that we use with them, it's absolutely uh, our principal, you know, will say this and it's, it's leadership from the top. And, and in terms of that language of staff, we take that on as well, is that it's actually, you know, uh, Christine has said, you know, it's not where you start, but it's where you finish that matters. Um, and then there's a great drive in, in everybody that's there to be able to help students overcome um, the barriers that they may have. Um, and I think that's where it can be a little bit conflicting for students when they are out at events. You know, this has happened to, to me. I've taken students on an excursion and there's been lots of students from other schools there. And they, you know, people are surprised because they're, they're, they're dressed really well or, you know, they're, they're surprised um, that they're at a particular event, you know, in terms of what extracurricular that might be. And I think as a teacher, you know, it gives me great pride to be able to, you know, tell students this is an opportunity for you to prove people wrong. It's, it's a shame we have to do that, really. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that's the reality. And it's not just for us. It's for, for schools. You know, it can happen on the flip side as well. You know, it could be just because they're from a more affluent area that people have a particular perception about the students that go there. Um, and that doesn't reflect you know, all of the students, all the experiences. And so I think this is key in terms of talking about culture and identity, you know, whether it's about talking about issues of Black Lives Matter, it's about deconstructing issues in our classroom. One thing I do is, as a teacher, I model, you know, that I have multiple identities and people might try to put myself into different boxes, whether it's as a woman, um, whether it's as, you know, someone that's a general, considered to be young. I'm, I look younger than I am. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess, yeah, my students are surprised as well. But being aware that diversity has uh, different meanings and for students not to let that category of, of where they're from geographically uh, to be their defining moment, but to, to look at those other ways that we can empower them as well to go and achieve and know that the sky's the limit really. The best thing for me that came out of the Global Teacher Prize and it's continuing on is for me to have, have had the chance to represent Rudy Hill High School on a global stage and to say you know that educators like the students you know I wouldn't have gotten there without the students, the staff, the community and it was really a reflection of what happened at that school to be able to be recognized at that level and for students to say miss we're proud of you um, and you know that was not something I expected but it was you know a great moment to be able to, to model that for my students. You know what's uh, really interesting sitting here listening to you yesterday is uh, your humility because I would imagine so much of empowering young people irrespective of their circumstance to believe in their possibility has got to do with the strength of the authentic relationship that you have with them. And at the core of, of all learning is this, this powerful social exchange, you know, between, between students and students and adults and adults and adults and students and so on. And no doubt they feel your passion 
being authentic and real and, and one that they can continue to kind of launch up from. So I'm, I'm just energised uh, sitting here listening to you. And I was, I was in your history class and I couldn't stand history. You know, maybe, it was, <laughs> maybe it was because I had probably teachers like Phil uh, taking me for history. But anyway... I'm going to keep moving. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what, what, <laughs> what a lesson in your class looks like in terms on a daily basis, but particularly from the lens of the ACARA capability of critical and, and uh, critical thinking and creativity. Because recently we, we uh, shared that wonderful article that you wrote for the Future Edge uh, publication, which is the Department of Education of New South Wales publication, uh, around teaching and assessing that capability. And I know that so many of our listeners out there are really keen to give real space to capabilities within their curriculum. And in fact, many are wanting to pivot to that being, you know, the model of, of learning going forward because they're the kind of uh, human skills that we want them to have to thrive in this new world. So can, can you describe to our listeners what does it actually look like in terms of a, a real lesson day to day? Sure. Uh, one thing um, at Rudy Hill is we actually all follow... Uh, a particular way of setting our learning design up for students to set high expectations. And so I know a lot of schools um, do this, but it's being clear with the learning intention, success criteria, and even in terms of the routine of the lesson across the school, we have an activity called a do now or a hook that engages students with the, the previous knowledge or as a, as a connector for that actual lesson content um, and the outline. And that's made visible to them, whether it's an online environment, unlike we use Google Classroom, um, or up on the board if you're working on the board, but making sure that from the outset students have that in terms of their routine, but also in terms of teachers to set a clear expectation about the general pedagogy that they take. Now, in setting that learning intention, we look at combining the capabilities with the content. So it could be something like, you know, today our learning intention is going to be uh, to apply critical and creative thinking to deconstruct this issue. Um, so in society and culture at the moment, you know, in terms of connections, to, again, to Black Lives Matter, is we're looking at hip-hop as a case study uh, for the depth study of popular culture. And it's very much going to link in with the, with the, the themes of, um, you know, how hip-hop started, you know, in terms of, like, it being used as a tool for uh, people speaking out and minorities around the world and how that's transformed. Yes, it's had all these commercial aspects, but, you know, what is it at the heart of that? And so Year 12 at the moment are very much looking at changing values uh, in terms of that popular culture. And so in a lesson, start often start off with something a little bit controversial or I want the students to think, you know, and this, this is what I've learnt and in writing that article for the Department on Critical and Creative Thinking is that to bring in any routine or anything about the capabilities, it's just like anything else when you're a teacher, you need to teach students that routine. Um, even if, you know, it might seem that that goes against critical and creative thinking, for example, but knowing how to actually deconstruct something, say, using the Harvard Visible Thinking routines, that's pretty much something I do every day, every lesson, is apply one of those routines in some way. Um, and then having opportunities for students to reconstruct or deconstruct their learning. Um, we've also, at the school, been using um, the Aboriginal ways of learning. And a lot of those connect to the Harvard Visible Thinking routines. Um, so deconstruct, reconstruct is one of those strategies. Story sharing is another. And um, again, giving students that voice to have discussion. I'm going to be just really, really blunt and say I struggled with this, with the transition to online learning fully um, because I was like, oh, how do I do this conversation when students, you know, don't want to turn their camera on? Um, or, you know, it might be like, you know, using the chat and I very much realised that I needed to transfer 
the way that I had been doing that face-to-face -face in a way where students, you know, could use the chat function or, you know, just uh, unmuted themselves and spoke, but a lot of them had other things going on in the background, you know, in that period that we had. And so I ended up teaching by text, you know, in terms of like using like the chat stream on Google Classroom and just having polls and things like that. And so that's for me, you know, an effective lesson is when I've, I know that every student has responded in an individual way to the big idea or something that we're looking at. And I think that's a great thing. Like I love teaching the humanities because it's just so like relevant to their lives um, and in terms of all of these big things that are going on right now and trying to make sense of it in the world. Um, so for year 11 society and culture when uh, COVID-19 broke out, um, you know, I had a lesson that was titled pandemic, you know, was it, is it the language of panic or is it important messages public health? So they're right. the kinds of lesson titles that I will use. Um, and, you know, the students actually did a content analysis, like the quantitative methodology into something in society and culture that we do from our syllabus. But they had to go through and do a, um, and count how many times, you know, words like petri dish or unprecedented or um, all of these things that we kept hearing in the media were actually, you know, being used. Um, and then make, make their assumption based on the evidence that they'd collected from doing that activity using a source that I'd given them but also giving them the freedom to be able to go and look at other sources um, and to make up their mind about, you know, what was happening in the way that the media was reporting that issue at that point in time. And so that's very much a part of the planning. I guess as teachers, you program to um, be able to cover certain themes and what's important. And I think COVID-19 very much taught us as teaching teams, but me as individually as a teacher, is we had to work out very, very quickly what mattered in our curriculum and how we were going to engage students, you know, whether they were at home or they were online and we were delivering that same unit of work in New South Wales. Um, and so that was key. That how, how did we make sure that that same learning was going to be delivered, whether the student was in front of you uh, or remotely um, or being able to catch up later? And I think this whole idea, and I know people have probably had enough of listening to people mention asynchronous and synchronous learning, but that very much has made me rethink how I teach in the class um, in terms of really thinking about what matters when we're together, mm -hmm. what can be set for follow-up tasks, and the same thing in even te leading teacher professional learning as well, is in, with the induction group, really thinking about what can we do for moments of connection when we're together? What are some things that you, know, you can do as a follow-up activity or it can be done in your own time and making other times when we meet um, really more about connection and sharing? So that's, it's very much changed the way, very like very quickly in, and in a very positive way in the way I approach my work, both with students and staff. So yesterday, I, I, I want to take you through a, a little bit of just what you talked about. I'm a teaching nerd. I'd love listening to people <laughs> talking about their teaching, and there's so much technique. What are three really practical, simple things that you want to take forward from switch to, we'd call it continuous learning? Mm -hmm. Three things, I think, is very much what I've learned is thinking about what we missed the most from that period has made me rethink how important connections are and how to use that time when we are connected more effectively. Um, and, you know, for everything from wellbeing to curriculum. Um, the second thing, like I mentioned before, was really thinking about what matters most in what we're doing right now. Uh, so we definitely need that long-term planning 
um, but this has taught me and in terms of this, our school teams, we decided uh, to look at fortnightly planning in terms of like what was happening in terms of like curriculum sequencing is, is something that we're really, really looking at now. So that idea of, you know, what, what matters most. Um, and then finally, I think from this whole experience is continuing to share. I think educators have shown that they are so keen, despite whatever they're doing and the demands placed on them, there's this yearning for connection and to keep keep learning from each other, whether it's through, you know, sharing on like podcasts, but the amount of teach meets that have popped up, the amount of professional associations that we're offering point in time, professional learning. Um, even on the weekend, I was fortunate to be part of an international one called T4 and that had a hundred thousand teachers signed up. And I think it's just to remember that we're part of a global movement here and everyone's trying to support and help each other, which can really inspire you, you know, in those moments where you might just feel like everything's, very tiring and you're, and you're not sure what to do. Oh, you can't help but be inspired by listening to you talk about this sort of stuff. And, and you know, mm-hmm. we, we've mentioned what your achievements in 2019 and a whole bunch of others. We know you've directly influenced the careers of over 200 teachers. You've won the, you won the 2014 Australian Council of Educational Leadership Mary Armstrong Award for the Outstanding Young Educational Leader. You won Teaching Fellowship for 2018. How is it that you empower other educators and why is contributing to the broader growth of the profession so important to you? I think for me, uh, the approach with staff, and um, even when you read all of that out at once in the bio at the start, sometimes I go, oh, it's hard to recognise all of those things because I think I've been fortunate to be recognised and to have great mentors that have put me forward for some of those earlier nominations and have inspired me uh, to go for some of these other opportunities. And I think that's a message I'd like to leave people is to, to, to recognise your colleagues, um, have a go at going for opportunities because it just leads to these opportunities to contribute more. I think I've always had that drive from being even like a leader at school, at uni as well. I went to Sydney University. I was an ambassador for the education faculty, um, you know, for open days and things. And I think I've always, it comes back to community. If we can contribute uh, where we can, and I, and I say when we can, because our own well-being is important, then there's, a, there's an influence there that we can have in education uh, that's going to impact more students uh, beyond our own context, you know, and maybe even, you know, around the world through what we do. And I think that's what's, that's what drives me is, but first of all, starting on that individual level, like in terms of, I love working with staff. I love having the one-on-one mentoring conversations, uh, just like I do with students. And I think that's what drives us all. It's human connection. And as educators, we have an opportunity to be able to, to connect not only within our own context, but more broadly to be able to, to keep inspiring and sharing and building each other up. A quick question for you and then a slightly longer question for you. First of all, are you a cricket fan? You know what? I used to be a cricket fan. I played girls cricket at school. And then when I met my husband, he hated cricket and found it the most boring (laughs) sport in the world. So the Sri Lankan part of me definitely loved cricket growing up, but I have not been following it since I've been with my husband now. Oh, that's that's just a that's a, that's a profound saying, really. I was going to ask you who your favourite cricketer was because no, you know he's going to he's going to hate that I've mentioned that, but yeah, it's just been kind of one of those things that um, yeah, because you didn't like it, I haven't like followed it as much. But I did go to a uh, the T20 Women's Cricket at the start of the year at North Sydney Oval, like with some friends, and that was great. I just enjoyed watching uh, th- women's sport as well. Come that's make, the, you know, make headlines now. That's interesting. I know that um, I know that uh, Adriano was at um, uh, a, t, uh, a women's T Twenty game uh, at the MCG recently. The final. The final with eighty odd thousand oh, yeah. or something like that. Was yeah, it? yeah. 
It was just electrifying. And I, I, I mean, I know nothing about cricket and I have no real interest in cricket, but I went along because one, uh, I want to really continue to support the growth of uh, women's sport. I really feel that it's a, it's a dynamic uh, platform to empower women uh, and, and, and of course to, to provide young girls with more role models. But as a sheer spectacle, it was awesome. And um, mm. I wasn't even a Katy Perry fan and she was awesome as well. <laughs> there we go. Yesterday, this really leads into the more important question, which is about a sense of humour. It's, it's one of the most challenging, most subtle of the tools of a really expert teacher is, is how to use a sense of humour and mm. how to teach kids to move from that which is gauche and inappropriate to that which enhances connection and builds community. How do you empower, how do you teach teachers to have a sense of humour? I think it's something that, you know, a lot of teachers will say, and even my colleagues, there are things that just happen where it's that whole, you've got to like laugh about it or you're going to cry about it. <laughs> and I think it's just, you know, if you think about how adaptable educators and everybody has been, but particularly educators, I think, in this time of COVID-19, um, a sense of humour has definitely just kept us going. And I think even with students, I think I'm often like the butt of their joke, so to speak, because there's something about me that I've done wrong or I laugh at myself and they laugh with me. Um, I'm kind of like that person, not the one that cracks jokes, but the one that people laugh at <laughs> and just going along with it. And that's, that's totally, totally okay for me. Yeah. My final question to you relates directly to the wonderful learning community that you're part of, Ruby Hill High School. It's been named one of Australia's 40 most innovative schools in 2016, 2017, and I think 2018, I could have those numbers wrong, by The Educator Australia magazine. Can you just share with our listeners, and you've given us a little bit of insight at the top of the show, but can you share with them, what's the secret sauce there at Rudy Hill? The secret sauce? Um, I would say that there is a drive to always looking at how we can do things better. Um, and so in terms of, yeah, The Educator magazine, it was two years in a row that we were in that top 40 list. Um, and a lot of that, you know, it recognised all different projects and things going on in the school. So the critical creative thinking and capabilities work at that time was part that I was um, really a part of. But, you know, everything from like our wellbeing programs um, to the way that I guess we look at transitions for students, you know, we have a fabulous like pathway. But one of the things I think that has really, really helped all of these projects is the idea that we connect with experts, you know, beyond the school as well. So, for example, with the critical and creative thinking work, we were fortunate to work with Dr. Bill Lucas. Mm -hmm. We've got an entrepreneurial uh, learning team at the moment really looking at how, you know, they're, they're working with other partners in industry and other academics. Even last year, uh, I also co-lead our subject-based um, teaching and learning uh, it was called signature pedagogies at one point, and then we, we rephrased the term just because some people get stuck on the word pedagogy. Uh, so, you know, again, adapting to, to how staff take on things. Um, we were able to engage an academic partner in Dr. Linda Hobbs from Deakin to come and work with us. And so there's this idea very much that, you know, we can contribute more broadly um, and we're encouraged to, to go out and make these connections and, to, and be given time to to be able to do that. So there's an idea um, we're supported to, you know, put it forward and see, see what can happen. So I think that's the secret sauce. Give something a go. Yeah. My final question, I thought that was going to be my final question, but it's not now because <laughs> I, I just want to keep you online here and, and keep listening to you because uh, uh, it's just so enlightening and refreshing to have a dynamic young educator who understands that every teacher is actually a leader. 
you know, uh, and, and that it's not only a leader within the confines of a classroom and empowering young people, but it's also being a champion for our profession, which is an amazing profession. Why do you love what you do? I love what I do because it just brings me so much joy, you know, if I think of the classroom, but also working with teachers. And I think it's, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you mentioned that idea of teachers as leaders and leadership. I think for many people, myself included, that wasn't an easy term for me to recognize, I guess, earlier on. And definitely, you know, when people talk about imposter syndrome and all of those things, definitely gone through that at various phases. It's ultimately the connection um, that makes me love what I do. I think even from the people I was fortunate to meet last year at the Global Teacher Prize and like all these networks through all these different things, and even, you know, just getting on Twitter and the social media that teachers are using to connect, it's just really inspiring and knowing that we're contributing not only to the lives of our students, which is often what, you know, gets people into teaching in the first place, but it's actually really making a difference in communities more broadly. And I don't think um, anybody could argue with that with the current situation and the very time that we're living in, you know, whether it's looking at responses to the pandemic, looking at how we're dealing with issues of racism and social justice is definitely one of the key drivers that helps me keep seeing that what we do every day is so important. Yesterday, you're awesome. It's, it's been just an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Jeff Southworth in his, in his leading study for CSE around the characteristics of successful leaders in education highlighted that optimism was, uh, was, was so important, you know, a sense of hope. And, uh, and I can see how that, that, that just rubs off on everybody around you. Uh, we wish you very well in your career. We wish the folks at Rudy Hill High all the very best as well too. We want to stay connected with you and we want to learn more from you in the years to come. Thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for joining us on Game Changers today. Thanks so much, Phil and Adriana. It was great to, to be able to share and yeah, I could keep talking all day. <laughs> Thanks for the questions. <laughs> thank you. It's just been absolutely awesome and uh, we're going to deliberately leave this particular podcast series to the last of series three because we're going to keep people waiting for this gem of a moment which that has been simply brilliant and so uplifting thank you very much and uh, just continue being you because i tell you what you're more than enough and the young people in your care uh, get the privilege of encountering you every single day and let them keep making fun of you because it's definitely working <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much you. and take care the Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.